Blog Talk Radio. Air Force members in times of a national crisis. 
In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about Welcome back to The Balance, 917-889-8516 is our digits. It is Father's Day weekend. If you've got a father, well, we've all got a father, but if you have an opportunity to talk with your father, you know, uh, give him a call, talk to him, uh, thank him for bringing you into the world, because uh, your mom probably wasn't in the mood anyway. Anyway, we, we move on. Matthew Embry, WSBT in South Bend. Our official IndyCar contributor, Matt, you haven't talked with you in a couple weeks. How are you, sir? 
all the 24 hours of Le Mans has just gone underway, and they we're only two laps in, and they're already going like it's the last lap already. Remember, this is a 24-hour race. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Toyotas have taken off as expected at the front, but the GT Pro uh, it's been very tight from the start. So far, the pole sitter Nikki team with the Aston Martin has held the lead, but uh, it is a mad rush of bees. you got Fords, Corvettes, Porsches, and uh, Ferraris all screaming down his neck right now. Even the BMW mixed in for good measure. So if you haven't gotten on to RadioLamont.com on YouTube, you need to right now because it's getting very interesting right now at Circa Dale Sark. Well, absolutely, and uh, certainly we were going to talk about that race, so I'm glad you brought that up. So go ahead, let's let's break down. You know, a, a lot of people don't understand. Of course, you and I do, and uh, I know. Of course, there's the Rolex 24, which is the big one in, in Daytona every year. I try to watch that one every year. But I tell you what, there's something pretty awesome about a 24-hour race, and it really does go for 24 straight hours. Talk with us a little bit about the makeup about that, why they have the 24-hour races, and, you know, why is it such a big deal? Well, I mean, it used to be for endurance, but uh, as you have seen the last few years, this has become a 24-hour sprint race. Guys are going full out. You have three driver teams, even in the pitch black at night where there's very little any light on the public road section of this circuit. They're still going full out. I mean, there are six sections on the track where the cars will hit at least 200 miles an hour, at least the LMP1s will, and, uh, you talk about uh, nerve-wracking situations, and you got to be extremely careful. Now, granted, we haven't gotten to the traffic scenario yet, but trust me, once you start lapping cars with these speed differences, you can get treacherous. And we have seen some ugly accidents, uh, including one where, unfortunately, uh, Rob Kaufman uh, sent uh, the Audi of Mike Rockefeller for a loop into the barriers one year that uh, got Rob Kaufman uh, kicked out of the race. Uh, for the remainder of that event, I believe it was 2014 or 2013 when that happened. So you've got to mind your P's and Q's here. But at the same time, though, you can't really give anything up because, uh, as we have seen, a guy can get a lead here and he can hold it. I mean, the Porsche got a big lead in GT Pro early stages of the race last year, an hour or two. He was able to hold that lead practically for the remaining 22 hours. So, again, you have to – you've got to go full out. Now, granted – some of these cars aren't necessarily made to do that. You're going to see cars end up in the garage and having to make repairs because of that fact. But that is the way it rolls here, and you have to go full out, and that's what we're seeing. I think we're seeing some, in fact, some big numbers already being posted by Mike Conway. We're only three laps in. He just fired off a 319 lap time, which is only four seconds off his qualifying time. So that tells you they're going for it even with uh, 23 hours and uh, 50 minutes to go. So how do they talk us a little bit about how they make the driver rotations, how they go about that? Do they just do they put a strategy together that said, okay, you're going to be driving for this block of hours, you're going to be driving for this block of hours, we choose this driver to drive now, we choose this driver to drive. What's their strategy about the drivers they use and when they place them in the car for the 24-hour Le Mans? Well, usually it's usually a three- or four-stint uh, service thing, and what they try to do is they try to put the new driver that takes over on fresh tires. Now, granted, the rules are a little bit different than in Daytona. For those of you that are used to seeing Daytona and Sebring, where they can fuel the car and change tires at the same time, you must complete the fueling first before you do anything else. The only thing you can do while the car is being fueled is change drivers. So you will see teams... Just take fuel only to save that time that it takes to change tires because you're only allowed two air guns over the wall during tire changes. So 
with that fact in mind, trying to get the longevity out of these Michelin or Dunlop tires is very important because if you can save that tire change, that's about 20 seconds on pit stops that you're able to save, and that adds up as the race continues. So I think we're going to see a lot of triple stints. Like we said, we could see some quadruple stinting of drivers. But, uh, again, uh, trying to limit the time you lose on the pit lane, I think, could make a world of difference as we get closer and closer, especially if this race is close. Uh, in any of the four divisions, not just for overall. I think we could see a close battle in LMP2, GTE Pro, GTEM. Uh, it's going to be tight, I think, all the way down the list, and I would not be surprised if it comes down to the last uh, hour or so before we actually have a true decision on what might play out as far as a class victory or an overall win. What do you think is the biggest – is this the biggest 24-hour race, or would you would you say that Rolex 24-hour race is bigger, or is there a bigger uh, – 24-hour race in the 24-hour of the month. This is the, this is the king of the hill right here. I think this is the equivalent of winning a Daytona 500 and Indy 500. Yes, Daytona has been around for a decent amount of time, but the rules are different, and you don't always get the full competition thing in there. I mean, you look at the record, and if you win Le Mans, that can jump start a career in trumpet more than, say, a win at Daytona Sebring, Petit Le Mans, Road Atlanta. It's not about – they look back at your record as far as sports car, as far as a team, and the question is, have you won at Le Mans or not? And uh, some teams, like obviously Ganassi can say with the Ford program, he's done that. Corvette can say they've done that. Porsche obviously can say they've done that. They won it more than anybody else. Audi, Bentley, I mean, all of them have won it. And uh, Toyota finally won theirs last year. Now, granted, there were no other manufacturers there, which kind of made things easy for them. But still, uh, it's a big deal uh, when you win a race like this and you claim that, add that to your record as far as what you've done over the years. Now, I know Elio Castaneves is in the sports car series now. Is he racing in this race this, this weekend? Unfortunately, the DPI, they have yet to come to a compromise about the DPI. That car is not eligible to participate at Le Mans. Now, the LMP2 cars, the cars that run with the that Gibson stock engine, like you said, I was in a separate class. Like there was like two or three of them. Those cars are eligible to compete in LMP2. Now, there's been some compromise saying, well, the DPI should be put since it's a different manufacturer engine, et cetera, with the body kits that those cars should be moved to LMP1. Well, unfortunately, ACO in the FIA, which runs the sanctioning body for 24 hours of Ma, has come up with a this hypercar thing, which I guess is going to make a debut in 2021. And going by that scenario, um, it's going to be interesting to see what the regulations are with that. Right now, only one team manufacturer, Aston Martin, has confirmed that they are looking at a hypercar program for 2021. So it'll be very curious to see uh, what the strategy are and where they go with these things, because it could get very uh, interesting uh, as far as, you know, the top classifications. And keep in mind, uh, looking ahead to 2020, we already know Ford's factory GT program is not going to be back. There's a good chance BMW will not be at Le Mans next year. So that's two manufacturers they lose in GT, potentially. Now, granted, we could see other cars there in privateer mode, but ultimately uh, the factory play thing is going to get limited, and when you're trying to fill a 62-car field, uh, trying to find entries could get a a little more difficult as far as quality entries in the field. I mean, there are 
for instance, with the FIA super season for this upcoming year starts in September, there are four teams that have never competed at Lamar before, but since they're going to be a regular in FIWEC, they get an automatic berth in the field. So uh, it could get a little bit interesting to see how this plays out and how they fill the rest of the cars uh, with uh, teams that, uh, you know, these one-off teams that just run. I mean, that, we only had one of those, for instance, this year with uh, Ben Keating that got into the field. So I'll be very curious to see uh, how they fill the field or what the makeup is with the selection committee. Uh, when we get to March of next year or February, whenever they reveal the field as to who gets in and who get, does not get an invite into the field. We're talking with Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, it's been 30, 34 days, I believe. Uh, it's been yeah, like 34 days since the car is fired for the first practice of the IndyCar Grand Prix. Obviously, we saw Simon Padijan sweep the IndyCar series uh, in Indy, uh, certainly Joseph Newgarden reestablished himself as a championship leader uh, by by a big win in Detroit. Uh, Scott Dixon got himself uh, back into the winning in, in second in Detroit, if you will. Tomoko Soto rallied for a podium finish. We'll talk about him and Graham Brayhall incident here in just a minute. Uh, Alexander Rossi finished second. Alexander Rossi also shaping up uh, to be a championship caliber team. Those are just some of the highlights and bullet points of IndyCar. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about what we've seen in IndyCar over the last uh, few weeks. And uh, let's uh, talk about what's going forward and certainly want to talk about that race uh, uh, last week in Texas. Uh-huh. Thankfully, we got through Texas without too many dramas. That event always scares me because, of you know, with the cars, with the exposed wheels and the speeds they're running at now, you're worried about eventually the scenarios that happened that led to the cancellation of the kart race in 2012. The cars are going too fast. The drivers, the G-loads are too much of the drivers. The drivers are getting knocked out. Thankfully, we're not to that point, at least not yet. But that's an event that because of that fact that these cars look so much like the kart cars that got uh, set home, in 2001, I'm starting to wonder when and if how much longer this Texas race is going to go because it's on a high bank track where there are very few straightaways, so the cars are not running straight like they do at Indianapolis, and you don't have time to, you know, get a little bit of a break from that G load. So I'm, I got to say, I'm more concerned than ever that, uh, and hopefully this windscreen will fix that problem a little bit. But I got to say, uh, the G loads are going to start getting high again. I'm starting to wonder. Uh, are we going to have some issues uh, with Texas and the drivers being able to, you know, function properly to be able to handle an event like this? I mean, 600 kilometers is a long distance uh, to be putting your body through that kind of stress. Let's talk a little bit about Connor Daly and his solid performance in, in Texas. Uh, Connor Daly believes that his latest audition in the NTT IndyCar series went well, uh, but uh, certainly Connor Daly has had his struggles, and I like him. He's, he's, he's a good guy. He's a good driver. He just hasn't got that break yet, and I don't know that he's going to get many more chances to make that happen, so he's got to make the most of everything. I thought he did that in Texas. Well, he certainly did, obviously. Unfortunately, as we see, Max Chilton has decided uh, to take the Mike Conway route uh, with nerves about uh, the danger on ovals. He is elected, looks like, to uh, stop his running on ovals, which means he will probably not be a competitor at Indy uh, for the 500 anymore, which uh, is unfortunate considering he almost won the race uh, two years ago, led the most laps. But uh, that's his decision, and uh, that's what he elects to do. And uh, you can't uh, necessarily whack him in the back of the head uh, for 
you know, thinking about uh, safety first in that scenario. So ultimately, you look at the scenarios right now, uh, Connor certainly is showing that now he's figured out the ovals. They had a great run in Indianapolis, had a solid run, and not a spectacular run at Texas. And assuming they go with him for Iowa, Pocono, et cetera, uh, at least two more chances for him to make some noise there. And uh, I don't know if he would be into possibly taking a deal with Carlin for the Ovals only for 2020 or not. But uh, you have to wonder uh, right now at this point if that's as good as it's going to get because, unfortunately, there seems still to be, you know, teams not necessarily as keen about taking him as a full-time driver as he did maybe a couple years ago when he was driving with Coyne which tells me uh, he still has a ways to go before uh, he is really in the talk for a full-time gig on the IndyCar Series, unless the grid expands uh, very proportionately to closer to that, you know, 30-car possibility. Let's talk a little bit about uh, Ray Hall uh, and uh, and Ray Hall Racing and uh, uh, the Texas and with Sato. Crew members. That's two races on ovals in a row where right. one of their crewmen have been hit. I mean, it happened with Jordan King at Indy, and then it happened with Sato. I mean, that is, I got to say, that's inexcusable for me that it ha- not only for the same team, but at two events, almost the same incident. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, and, you know, we've noticed that at Indy. Of course, I was at the Indy race, um, and you were too, but – we noticed that we, we that that just it seemed like there was a lot of action, a lot of activity in the pits, and and there were there was just a lot of out of control things in the pits in Indy, uh, and we saw an incident in Detroit as well. What's going on in the pits? Well, I think the issue is you see that how far inside the pit lane before they put that speed limit on, they need to do hit the speed, force them to hit up, get on the limiter before they pass that attenuator on the at the head of the pit wall. They're letting them go way too deep. They're pushing way too hard. And let me say, that pit lane does not have the grip to drop your speed down as, say, you know, the rest of the main track. I mean, it's not rubbered in like the rest of the track. And because of that, the possibility for incidents happening on that section of the course, like the ones we saw with Jordan King and then the incident that led to another caution flag on the pit lane as well during the race, uh, those are going to continue to happen. I think they need to push it further out, maybe a bit of cone line just like NASCAR has, because I think they're letting them go way too deep into an area where it's not made for the cars to go that fast and then downshift and lower their speed down to at a rapid rate to reach the speed limit from 200 down to 60. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought you were, you were, you were saying, saying something else. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. So, I mean, it's it, it's just I, I I it's a dangerous spot to be. A lot of people don't realize how dangerous it is to be in those pits. And you know, it, it's a I, I think it's fun to and walk Tom, through the pits and saying, well, lower the speed limit. Well, it's already sixty miles an hour. I mean, where are you going to lower it down to? Thirty, forty? I mean, you really can't lower it anymore. Mm-hmm. I don't think. Uh, not with IndyCar, I don't think you could. Maybe, maybe you could get it down to fifty. But it, it, look at how hard it is to slow those down coming into the pits. I mean, that's that's a. You got to remember, this is a, a jet airline on the ground. <laughs> you can't just you can't just go from two hundred miles to sixty miles an hour 
in in a matter of seconds on a, on a on a full green caution, if you will. You just can't do that. So yeah, hopefully uh, we'll get some things worked out there out there in the safety because you know, God forbid. I, mean, I don't know if it, I have to check my facts on this. You might know better than I do, but I don't think anybody's ever gotten seriously hurt or killed in the pits as far as the pit crew member uh, goes. Uh, I could be wrong about that. Nineteen seventy-three. Yeah, so, unfortunately, a signboard man was hit and killed when an ambulance went the wrong way up the pit lane, and uh, caught him by surprise. And the crew and the signboard man was hit and killed. But that was the last uh, fatality that I know of. So let's talk a little bit about uh, coming up Road America in eight days. Uh, let's talk about Road America, and then we'll get into some of these uh, uh, teams and, and the breakdowns of where they're at now after. Uh, few weeks of racing though but coming up next road america eight days i'll tell you what road america that is the classic uh road circuit on the circuit i mean it's four miles a lot of open it tests all the things that the car has there's slow medium fast corners a lot of places to overtake i'd say of the tracks that uh, the road courses that is out there that's the one i'd say i look forward to most them running because that is a driver's track. Uh, I think you can't just say, say the best car wins there. I'd say the best driver will win that event. That's why I'd say this would be a prime circuit for a guy like, say, an Alexander Rossi. If he is going to make a run for a championship, uh, if this would be the prime place for him to get a run going and possibly win a race here and get uh, you know some momentum going for him where the momentum's not been on his side, at least over the last uh, couple races where he's had opportunities to seal the deal and has not taken advantage of it. Do you think that we have a rookie of the year already decided, and then that's Colton Herta? And do you think there's somewhat of a friendly rivalry? And I say no, friendly I because no, I don't. I think right now, based on what I'm seeing, I think you could make a case that Santino Ferrucci is more deserving of that. I mean, he's now ninth in the point standings. He is finally showing the consistency and maturity that he did not have at the start of the season, at the end of last year, when he ran the limited number of runs. I'd say right now. And, yes, you don't go necessarily by one race. I think it's the whole package. And right now, I think you can make a serious case that the man that deserves that Rookie of the Year honor is Santino Ferrucci if he keeps this going of consistency where he stays in the top ten in points. I know, I, now, granted, Colton Hurd has had mechanical problems to get in his way, but over-aggressive move at Texas, I think that was a very poor decision on his part that, unfortunately, almost wiped out Rossi. It took a miracle lied by Rossi to avoid getting involved in that crash late in the, the Texas race. But I'd say right now, if you look at the uh, information, I'd say you are more inclined to give that rookie of the year honor right now to Ferrucci and not to Colton Hurt at this point. Now, granted, that may not be a popular view, but look who's higher in points right now. It's not even close. Ferrucci is up to P9, and I think uh, is Colton Hurt even in the top half of the point stands? I don't believe he is at this point. I don't have the standings up right now, but I was getting ready to go there. But yeah, we can we can look at that here in just a moment, sir. <laughs> I will I will pull up the standings here. Yeah, I believe last time I checked, Rucci is higher in points by a good amount. I believe. We'll get that pulled up here in just a minute, and we'll uh, be able to to answer that uh, answer that question. My other part of the of the Colton Herta question was. Do you think there's a friendly rivalry forming between Scott Dixon and Colton Herta? 
I wouldn't say rivalry right now because it was just one race, but uh, if it continues, then I'd say something might be on the cards there. But uh, I think more data is needed before you can make a claim like that at this point. All right, well, let's kind of get through some of these drivers here. As we'll, we'll start, start with some of the top five overall. We'll get to your point uh, question on Sarucci here in just a moment. Joseph Newgarden, uh, obviously uh, leading the pack, got a championship uh, in his in his in his sight. So does Alexander Rossi, and I honestly believe Simon Pat is on. He's in it to win it. What are you? What are your thoughts on those three drivers? Well, Pagano's kind of fished out since the Indy Triumph, and obviously uh, taking the you know, the thing of that and then having that on this is an extra burden that he's got to deal with right now, and I'm wondering how he's going to handle that. But so far, I don't think he's handled it to the best of his ability as of yet. Now, like, that's really that'll change over time, hopefully, and he'll get back into it, but he certainly hasn't helped himself in the last three events. Right now, I'd say it's a two-man fight for the title uh, unless Scott Dixon can get going. I think it's either Rossi or Newgarden for the title. I'd say right now, if you go by what's going on right now in Newgarden, but if you go by potential, I think Rossi is the guy that's going to win the title if he plays to his potential. You think Rossi's going to is is the the champion this year? Is that what you said? Sorry, if you, you go cut by out there. potential. If you go by potential, Rossi's the guy. If you go by what's going on right now, you go with Newgarden. But if you go by what could happen down the road or should happen, the Writing on the wall says Rossi is the guy to beat. It's a little bit closer than what you may have thought with the point standing. The Colton Hurt is at 158, and uh, Ferrucci is at 193. So there's a gap there, but it's not a huge gap. It's not a large gap uh, between the, the two the two rookies there. Obviously, uh, Joseph Newgarden with 367, Alexander Rossi 342. Scott Dixon, and then Soto, Will Powell, Ryan Hunter-Ray, Graham Rahal, uh, Ferrucci, and James Hinchcliffe round out the top ten. Yeah, I tell you what, uh, a lot of interesting names up there that I think that could make a breakthrough. Obviously, uh, we said uh, Ferrucci is up there. Bourdais certainly is within range. Uh, but, again, they just don't have the consistency to get all the way to the top step of the ladder right now. And I think, like I said, uh, two men race for this battle. And uh, like I said, I think the information, this keeps going the way it's going. I'd say uh, Ferrucci is probably going to be your rookie of the year as opposed to Colton Murder, despite the fact Colton Murder does have a race win on his uh, document uh, so far this year. Well, one thing for sure is uh, we've got a we still got a season ahead of us, and we still got, you know, the big West Coast swing, and we've still got a lot of big races that can determine a lot of things between now and then. Uh, certainly, they're both very very good drivers. I do like Colton Herter though. I I think I just got a chance to 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 really pay attention to him closely at Indy. He did well at Indy. Uh, you know, he's got a good uh, pedigree background with him there. So we'll see what happens. We'll see. We'll see what happens. So, uh, real quickly, uh, some final thoughts on IndyCar, the 24-hour Le Mans, uh, Matt. Well, I think right now, uh, Colt, as I mentioned, uh, it's a big lead already for Mike Conway in the seven. Uh, Antonio Garcia has put the 63 Corvette in the lead. Now, the question is, though, I'd love to see this car go out of winter. Of course, obviously. This could very well be the last time you see a front-engine uh, GT car uh, competitive at Le Mans uh, with all these cars going mid-engine. Supposedly the eighth-generation Corvette is also going to go the mid-engine route, may even go a turbocharged engine route. 
giving up uh, for all things, uh, dare we say, Tom, the normally aspirated throaty roar V8 engine. That could be gone for 2020. So uh, it'd be good to see that car go out the winter. Obviously, Ford, unknowns about their programs. I'd like to see them have a good result. But uh, I think in the end, if you go by what has happened on paper, I think eventually you that thing about Porsche running like clockwork. I think you're going to start seeing those Porsches. There's four of them in GTE Pro and several in GTM. I think you're going to start seeing them go up the leaderboard. And when we get to 9 a.m. tomorrow morning, I would not be surprised if Porsche sweeps those two divisions. I'm, I don't, I'm hoping, obviously, being the Corvette fan I am, that that's not going to happen. But if it does happen, I would not be surprised. Now, be honest. Are you going to make it through the whole 24 hours? I may sneak in a nap here and there down the road. But uh, <laughs> I didn't quite make it at Daytona. So, no, I did not stay up all 24 for Daytona, no. Well, I uh, I always have good aspirations when it comes to Daytona, but uh, uh, it doesn't it does not always work out for me. That's for sure. Matthew Embry uh, of uh, WSTV up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. Matthew, thank you for joining us. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? Uh, M a t t m b u r y on Twitter and uh, again uh, hashtag Lamar for. Up-to-the-date info as I'm keeping in mind. Right now, I'm going to switch computers head to my home computer for the next few hours, so I may not post anything for the next several minutes. But uh got to say, uh, it's going to be a various thing how this could play out. And uh, obviously, uh, with uh, another situation, uh, talk about NASCAR, that first road course event also is getting close. So that's always a fun event. All right, Matthew, you have yourself a good Father's Day weekend and a good race weekend, and we'll talk with you soon, sir. All good, and to my dad, Mike, happy Father's Day. All right, have a good weekend. Matthew Embry, WSVT, up in South Bend, our official IndyCar contributor. My name's uh, Tom Mark with El Presidente. We'll be right back with Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. We're going to jump into some NASCAR talk. The Air National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. 
see live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about exactly the bumper music I was going for, but hey, it did the trick. Welcome back to The Balance. My name is Tom Marcos, El Presidente. It is Father's Day weekend, and joining us now is Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest. Happy Father's Day weekend to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing well. Uh, Making it through, I guess. Making it through. Are are you going to have a good... I know you got some kiddos. You're going to have a good Father's Day. You're going to Sit back, relax, make them wash your feet, and uh, <laughs> bring you a beer. And <laughs> if if only if only if go ahead. Yeah, I don't know. I, I, yeah, you're right. If it only worked like that, I guess sometimes. <laughs> it's usually the dad that has to still mow the lawn on Father's Day, and it's usually the dad that still has to to uh, fire up the grill on Father's Day. That's okay. I'm a dad. It's pretty cool. I'm a grandpa. It's even cooler. That's why I had my son, you know, to be a to be a grandpa. That's what I tell him all the time, anyway. So anyway, <laughs> I digress. Uh, Steve, uh, welcome back, back to us. We haven't talked with you a couple of weeks, and I know we don't have a lot of action on the track today, but I do kind of want to talk with you a little bit uh, about some of the penalties that happened down in, in Michigan with the Xfinity and Cup Series. So l- let's kind of recap of what's happened here. And let's talk about these penalties on the NASCAR Cup side and Xfinity side that got handed down uh, from Michigan. Um, oh, you want me to talk about them? I don't even remember. Oh, that was yeah. too far ago. 
Okay. No, no, no problem. No problem. We'll, we'll bail you out of it. Let's jump into, <laughs> we're stepping to the, to the truck race uh, tonight, Iowa, eight o'clock underneath the light. It's always fun uh, to watch uh, a race up there in Iowa. I like going up there. It's a fun track. Uh, it's always fun to be out there at night and the truck series getting more of a prominent role in the NASCAR uh, series uh, this, uh, uh, this year. And I think it's increasingly gotten more coverage over the last couple of years, which I think is good. And we're seeing uh, them share the track more with the, with the cup series and, and, and being able to race in some of these bigger uh, tracks and venues. So I think uh, a lot of people are starting to pay attention to the truck races that maybe never did before. Well, I think that most people are paying attention to the truck race just because on any given weekend, uh, they're putting on heck of a shows out there no matter where they're going to, small tracks, big tracks, intermediate tracks. Um, these trucks are big and bulky, and you know they're like throwing a brick through the air. Um, they pass, they beat, they bang, they use the chrome horns. Uh, it, the people are spinning out. People are getting angry at one another. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of this, you know, mentality goes back to what people remember at short tracks. And these these truck drivers are putting on exactly that kind of show no matter where they're going to. I think some people are also looking for an alternative to the Cup Series because, um, you know, we, we continue to talk about the package every single week. Some tracks it works very well out, like, for example – when you go to Charlotte, we had some excellent racing there with the with the new package that NASCAR has put together. But then, I mean, you go to other tracks, and then you know people people have their differing opinions of whether it works well or whether it doesn't. And I think honestly, people are just looking for good racing, no matter what the series is, and for the best bang for your buck. And I, we've kind of said this for a couple of years that you know it's kind of been one of those things as Barura Peely said. The trucks are putting on the best show out there. You get to see an amazing mix of talent of both drivers that are coming up, cutting their teeth in the sport, new drivers that are coming from other forms of motorsports. Like we've seen drag racing drivers. We've seen uh, dark, dark track, short track drivers, sprint car type drivers coming into the series. And then we've got that mix of veteran status like your Johnny Sauters and your Matt Craftons of the world that are out there mixing it up. And I think that's just what makes the, the truck series so exciting now that everybody wants to watch, they want to follow, they want to see what's going on because there's something for everybody. Well, absolutely. And I and a lot of people may not realize that these trucks that they can they can flat out haul and don't don't make mistake because it's a truck, uh and that it's NASCAR that you're not going to have fun watching that race. I, I personally like all kinds of races. We were just talking with Matthew about the, the 24 hour Le Mans uh, going on right now. And obviously the big uh, race out in Daytona every year is the, the Rolex 24. So there's a lot of different races that, that uh, you can get into if you just give your yourself a self a chance. Right. So, um, so Talk with us a little bit about the standings. I, I meant to have them up here right now, but you might you might have them on on the back of your hand there or whatever. <laughs> but let's talk about the standings of of the truck series. Um, yeah, I can pull it up for you. <laughs> uh, well, you know, Grant, uh, you know, some of the drivers that have been up there in the front, 
we we've had pretty good runs out of Dan Grant and figure has had some excellent runs uh throughout the the season Johnny Sauter um he, he obviously come go coming back over from GMS racing has, has um I think helped <clears throat> excuse me sorry Johnny Sauter has come over from GMS racing back to Thor Sport where that has they struggled a lot last year um, you know, they they converted over from uh, Toyota to uh, Ford. Um, Ford hasn't been had an invest, uh, vested interest really in the series for quite some time, so you know it really um, you know has helped them to have somebody like Johnny Sauter back in there. Um, some of the other drivers that are up front, Stuart Friesen, you know that guy. <laughs> if he can't win for losing, he's not going to have any luck whatsoever. I think everything has happened to him in the world. He's finished second more times than once. Uh, he's running second in the points right now. Um, he's been leading multiple races and had various issues from, from fuel running out of it to the truck to you name it. Uh, and eventually, I guess some, at some point, that guy's actually going to get a win, and uh, I think he's uh, most deserving of it because he's had every heartbreak known to man out there. Uh, you know, uh, let me see. Who else is up here? Oh, um, Brett Moffitt. Uh, yeah. yeah, go ahead. <laughs> yeah, I got it. Uh, so Brett Moffitt uh, running fourth out there. He's the, the defending series champion. He's left uh, Hattori Racing and went over to GMS Racing this year to take the seat of Johnny Sauter. Um, those guys have been putting on some pretty good performance for them, but you know that's not abnormal for GMS. I think well, they're really honestly one of the the best teams. They reinvest into their teams probably more than uh, many of the other trucks uh, out there outside from maybe a Thor Sport or somebody like that. They're you know the, this they're considered <coughs> excuse me they're considered one of the top tier teams out there just because of the equipment that they have for them, um, their partnerships, um, that they lend out technical and engineering support to other teams, but also the money investment that they continue to put into the series, both in the truck series and now investing into the Xfinity series, which they've done for the last handful or couple of seasons or so. Um, so, you know, for Brent Moffat, I think he's been running good enough that, you know, we'll see him in the playoffs later on this year. And, um, you know, maybe he will capture some of that, that, um, you know, he, uh, you know, uh, the biggest thing with Brent Moffat is last year, uh, he struggled a lot and, and Hattori racing didn't have the, the personnel didn't have always the funding. They almost missed out on a race last year. And this kind of gives Brent Moffat a little bit of that buffer to not have to worry so much about going out there and winning, yeah, every weekend and week out just to continue their team to get to the next race and eventually like a, like he did last year as he won the championship and I think he defeated all the odds to to really I think he's really more of an old school type race car driver that works on the car has a bunch of shade tree mechanic friends show up help you out with the vehicle and, and you may win something at your local short track. And I think that's what Hortatory racing has done 
and what they did last year to put Brad Moffat both in victory lane and the championship. So, I mean, there's a good group of contenders up at the front right now. Um, and I, I don't think you can count really any of them out. And as we continue to go through this triple truck challenge that, you know, there's not going to be any, uh, uh, any invaders from the other series, Xfinity or cup that's going to come down, uh, either this week at Iowa or next week at gateway. Uh, it just really gives an opportunity for these truck series drivers to shine. It gives them an identity of their own, which they've been searching for for quite some time. And uh, you, you're seeing, like last week, for example, in the truck series, Greg Biffle that's been out of a truck for um, four or five years. Um, I'm, I'm sorry, he's been out of a cup car for about three or four or five years, been out of a truck for almost a decade or so, and uh, came in with KBM equipment and won last week at Texas. So, um, you know, we're we're seeing a varying set of drivers that are going to victory lane, even some drivers that hadn't been in the seat in a couple of years. So I think that's really just, you know, how competitive it is for those couple of coveted uh, um, spots up at the top of the, the, uh, the standings right now. Well, let's, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, you know the Michigan race. Joey Logano uh, gets that win and is really among some historic company, if you will. Uh, 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 Logano only trails Richard Petty, Jeff Gordon, Kyle Busch, and wins before the age of 30. And his team Penske is locked in a two-team race with Joe Gibbs Racing on the season. Joey Logano, the real deal this year. Well, I mean, he was extremely strong. He rolled off from the pole there. Um, there was only a handful of instances where he was, you know, and those were, those were mostly through pit cycles that he wasn't leading last week. He said it led something like 140 laps or whatever it was. He was the most dominating car. Uh, a lot of the drivers last week said that he was tough to pass, and, you know, I think every driver – these are supposed to be the best drivers in the world and Martin Truex made a comment about how hard it was not only to pass but how hard it was for Joey Lacano to be passed and uh, you know for that I'm perfectly okay with it I mean these drivers aren't supposed to slide over move out of the way and and uh, just just let you cruise on by and especially if you're racing for the lead or you know racing, racing for a position that can get you some extra stage points or whatever the case is. Um, these drivers aren't supposed to just move over. And uh, while I think, you know, there's some tweaks that could be made at a place like Michigan, uh, the restarts were good for for every time that we did get one. Um, but I think there could be some tweaks later on coming down the line maybe at some point. But, again, um, you know, it was tough to pass, and sometimes being tough to pass is just tough to pass. And uh, as a race car driver, sometimes race car drivers find things to complain about that don't necessarily mean anything. And, um, you know, if Martin Trucks Jr. or if any other driver were in that situation where they said, you know, um, you know, they were leading and, let's say, Joe Logano said I couldn't get past him because it was hard to pass. Well, you know. Um, that's just that's just how racing is supposed to be. It's not supposed to be easy, and if it was easy, then everybody can do it. So he's supposed to be one of the best race car drivers in the world, and um, you know, go out there and show and prove it that you are. And you know, for the dominating factor that Joey Longano, he can he went out there and he shows that he's uh, one of the best car race car uh, one of the best race car drivers in the world, and he's defending his championship from 2018. 
Well, absolutely. And let's look at some of the other strong drivers coming out of Michigan. Of course, the race ran on Monday evening because they couldn't get it in on, on Sunday because of the rain. Uh, a two-part question here. First of all, how, it seemed like, and maybe maybe I, I'm wrong, but maybe the TV just gave a good perception of it, but it seemed like a lot of fans stuck around. Do you think it's a, a good thing or a bad thing when they uh, move uh, the races back to another day. Sometimes I would think maybe uh, we go with the points leader and 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 call it a, a wash, or we we um, have some built-in alternate schedule days. Um, maybe that wouldn't be possible because of where the track was. But do you think these rain uh, delays slash move the race to the next day is? Is that a good thing, a bad thing? I mean, sometimes it's just completely unavoidable. That's the only time they do it. But just uh, getting your thoughts on that. Um, I mean, it's kind of a double-edged sword, to be honest with you. Um, you know, now, uh, I think NASCAR does everything that they can to do, and they've said repeatedly they're going to do everything they can to do to get it in on its scheduled day. Uh, you know, there's all, uh, all alternate factors that are going to play into this, and obviously Mother Nature is going to be the biggest one um, just because of the nature of the of what the sport does. Um, you know, it's not like football. You can put a canopy over these big giant facilities and then go run, um, you know, 40 cars around the track for three hours, you know, and not expect some, you know, bad ill effects to happen from that. So, you know, not only that, but, you know, to some degree, it could be technologically impossible too, just because of the size of these massive facilities. Um, but, you know, for, for these for NASCAR to take in and say, okay, look, we're going to do this on a Monday. You know, I know a lot of people complained this this past week and said, oh, it's at 5 o'clock. Well, you know, people complain when NASCAR says, hey, we're going to run this race at 11 o'clock on a Monday morning. Well, guess what? Most people are at work, and they're not coming back, and they're not even going to watch this thing on TV. So they should just be glad that the – that the uh, World Cup is going on, and that pushed this race to five o'clock because they were something like a an eighty percent increase or something like that, some like eighty eighty five percent increase over the last time we ran on a Monday at Dover. I mean, at Dover, we saw a couple hundred thousand people, um, you know, watch this race at at Dover the next day at like midday, and this this time, uh, this uh, even this was right on top of the Daytona five hundred back in <clears throat> twenty twelve that ran on a um on a monday night um so you know that we had like 1.9 million people or something like that that actually watched this race on tv so a lot of these people that complained that it happened at five o'clock should just be glad the world cup came and uh pushed it back until the time that it did because it gave more people an opportunity to um go and watch this race but it also gave the people that were you know i know it's sometimes you know it's hard for people to show up at a five o'clock race and then a lot of times they're using the 11 12 o'clock uh, time schedule because they want people that are around uh to be able to come and watch the race and then go home at a reasonable time but um, you know, there was a lot of people that stuck around. There was a lot of people who watched this five o'clock race, both on track and uh, through television. So, you know, I think this kind of bolsters the fact of, you know, we continue to, a lot of people continue to say, well, why don't we have a primetime event? 
we've got all summer long where we have little competition to go up against. Uh, football isn't going on. Basketball is over with. Um, hockey is over with. Most of the major sports are over with. You know, we're in the summer series for, for the baseball, and a lot of times, you know, people are on vacations and stuff like that. Um, you know, I think this gives a changing of an opportunity when we get to like 2021 um, to say, look, we ran a five o'clock race, and I mean, we had a you know, 80, whatever, 80, 85% increase. We had almost 2 million people watch this race. Um, let's do it. Let's do a Monday night race. Let's, let's go against primetime Monday night. I mean, you don't, you don't have too many new shows either that you're contending with in the summer either. So most of those shows are a couple months away from coming on TV. So I think there's a lot of factors that play into this. I think it's a good opportunity. Um, there's good and bad, unfortunately, in everything that you do, because then, you know, sure, you may not get the uh, people that show up at the race, you know, you may get a lot of locals, people that are within that demographically, uh, what they consider a day's drive, 300 miles or less, um, show up at the race. You may not have people that are going to drive across the country for an event, but also I think if it's compelling enough, I think if we run this race like a Daytona, if we run like a, uh, a Darlington on a Monday night, if we run like a Martinsville on a Monday night, um, make it compelling enough that people are going to want to show up um you know they can take off i mean many people take off the friday before to go to races well why don't they just take the monday off instead uh and the monday and tuesday off instead and, and do it that way i mean you're just doing it on the back end it's the front end but you know i get it there's a lot of the factors one way or another and i know it's kind of a tangent as to the fact of whether it's good or bad and you know unfortunately there's good and there's bad and everything but I think in this instance, NASCAR had to do what they had to do. And, um, you know, some of these people that complain that think they should just, you know, relish in the fact that they actually got the rock to race instead of coming home later on and finding out who's winning because they were at work. Well, absolutely. And, you know, the, the problem is what a lot of people don't think is not just the rain. It's the drying of the track that takes some time. And I know they've made great strides in trying to uh, create chemicals and stuff that allow that process to go a little bit faster. I still think, you know what they should do, Steve, and, and if, if we should get in on the ground level of this, because when it happens, it's going to be like the biggest thing ever, and we could just retire on a beach somewhere. So, you know, like in baseball, what they do when it begins to rain, they pull out this automatic tarp. It just pushes out like a, like a pool cover, and it goes over the, the, the field, the infield there. So my thinking is we, we put a tarp all the way around the bottom of the track, and we just push a button, and it just goes across the track. When the rain is done, we pull it back, and it's dry. We get back on the cars. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> we would um, make a killing. Uh, we might. You know, actually, might make a kill. You know how much money we could make with with an invention like that? I don't know, man. Oh, well. <laughs> we're wasting we're wasting our our engineering talents. Steve Wilson, of Speedway Digest, joins us. Uh, Steve, uh, thank you so much for joining us on Father's Day weekend. You got any big plans? You and the fam? Mm, no, not all. Really. All right. We have your stuff. A, a, a good uh, only one race to keep track of this week, uh, and that's tonight up in Iowa at the truck race. We appreciate you joining us, and uh, we'll talk with you again soon. Where can people find your work and your masterpieces, sir? 
You can find us at Speedway Digest, Digest on Twitter, Facebook, back on slash Speedway Digest and SpeedwayDigest.com. All right, buddy. We'll talk with you soon. Have yourself a good weekend. All right. Thank you. You too. Have a good one. <laughs> Steve Wilson, uh, editor-in-chief, SpeedwayDigest.com, our official NASCAR contributor. Thank you to Matthew Embry. One hour in the books. My name is Saul Marcus, El Presidente. We're going to get right back here with some uh, uh World Cup, speaking of World Cup, some World Cup soccer talk, some soccer talk uh, with our good friend of the show, Mr. Sean Horton. Going to be good to catch up with him. We'll be right back right here on the Balance Radio Network, 917-889-8516 is our digits. Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive-through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Symbol Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. 
GEICO makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to GEICO.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to GEICO.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm laughing. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. All right, welcome back to The Balance. One hour in the can. Matthew Embry, our official IndyCar contributor, WSBT up in South Bend, joins us to break down some IndyCar action. And we just had on Steve Wilson, editor-in-chief of Speedway, Speedway Digest. I'm having just a hard time with it as he did. Uh, and uh, joining us to talk to NASCAR. We're shifting gears a little bit now. We're going to be talking some football, but not the American football, the other kind of football, the football, otherwise known as soccer. And joining us is our soccer guru, our go-to guy. We'll call him our expert on soccer, Mr. Sean Horton. Welcome back to The Balance. How are you, sir? I'm doing amazing, Tom. Can you hear me? I can hear you just fine, buddy. Absolutely. Perfect, man. I'm doing amazing. So glad to be back, (laughs) man. I appreciate the opportunity. No, I, 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 I wish you had the opportunity to talk soccer more often. Maybe we'll try to weave that in. But, you know, there's just so many sports and so many things got to get to and blah, blah, blah. But it's Father's Day weekend, so what a what a better time to talk to uh, some soccer. Because soccer's gain, gaining a lot of popularity, you know, right underneath our noses, especially here in the States. And you can't go two blocks in any suburban American without seeing uh, kids playing soccer. And it's really becoming quite the – what we seen are, are seeing now with kids is what we were when we were kids. We were emulating, you know, baseball players and Michael Jordan and you know those type of uh, NFL players. Now you're seeing uh, kids wanting to be professional soccer player. Talk with us about the game of soccer and how how the popularity of the sport has grown over the last few years. Well, I mean, it's an overall reflection of how our world has just become more and more connected. You know, if you think of, you know, all that we were aware of that took place in, you know, in other countries and throughout the world 20 years ago versus where we are today, I mean, it's virtually night and day overall. So as far as what's been taking place, you know, outside of the continent of the United States for decades is now, you know, right right in the hands of every small child and adult, you know, across the country. And they're seeing all the opportunity that is out there. Um, for the players, you know, to really start young and to really make something of themselves. Well, let's talk about Team USA. Obviously, uh, we, they they yeah. go in and they beat uh, Taiwan. A, a, a we'll call it a ass whipping because uh, we could call it that. Uh, let's talk about both sides of the coin here. I'm all for hey, go out there if, if you're playing at that level and you're playing in the World Cup. By all means, if you could score 13, 13 goals, which is almost unheard of in soccer anyway, go right ahead. Now, they, they, got, they got a lot of flag from other countries. Uh, predominantly, the most notable was a Canadian uh, news uh, conference company, that news company that basically said that the Americans basically uh, just uh, 
ran up the score, over-celebrated, uh, celebrated like they won the, the World Cup after each and every goal. They were really just rubbing it in the faces of the Ty- Taiwanese. So let's talk about Taiwan in uh, that game uh, overall. But I think maybe I'm just saying this because I'm American. Celebrate on. Celebrate on. What are your thoughts? Absolutely. No, absolutely celebrate on. Again, this is competition, right? You know, we win, we celebrate, we get excited. You know, what more can one expect, especially with such a great victory overall? And, I mean, start to the World Cup, you know, essentially. I mean, you know, I, I think when the day is said and done, you know, they, everybody's going to have their own opinion overall. But I, I like to look at the opinion of the, the Thailand soccer coach. You know, uh, she was – very much ecstatic and thankful for the way that our women performed and the way they behaved afterwards. What people don't want to talk about is the the individual, you know, uh, terms of endearment and consoling that took place off the, or excuse me, on the field, you know, during the goals and then when the game itself was said and done. Um, you know, the Thais, they're just thankful to be there. I mean, let's be realistic here. You know, sport can most certainly be bought to a degree. I'm not saying that's the case in the women's by any means whatsoever. But, you know, when you look at teams like Jamaica, where they're having to do fundraisers just to get themselves there, do we really think the caliber of training and the positioning really puts them up to be against a, a team that can clearly crush anything that comes in front of them? Well, absolutely. And so, you know, it, it takes a lot to get there. A lot of people don't realize the, the, the grueling schedule that you have to go through to get that. And another fun fact, just for those that are, that are feeling bad for Taiwan, their goalie is from Georgia or lives in Georgia. So just in you know, a little fun fact there. So uh, she's a, a, an American with dual citizenship, I believe. So anyway, yeah, I'm all for Thailand. Oh, what did I say? Taiwan? Taiwan, man. Oh, uh, right region of the world, wrong country. It's all good, though. Starts with T, right? <laughs> Starts with the T. Aren't they both Asian countries? I'm all, I'm yes, all screwed sir. up. That's what, all right. All good. So, all right. Thank you. Thank you for setting the record straight there. My apologies to hey, Taiwan. Hey, man, I want to keep going Ta- point, <laughs> I I appreciate it. I really do. We're talking with Sean Horton, our soccer expert, our soccer uh, go-to. Um, let's talk a little bit about the makeup of the World Cup uh, and how they go about with their brackets. I know a lot of it is strictly by luck and by the draw, but the one thinks a lot of people think the World Cup goes on for a long time. In fact, it does. There's several several weeks of the World Cup. Um, so talk with us about how that's how that's made up and, and, and how the composition of the World Cup comes together. Well, it, it's not so much based on the block, but it's based on overall performance, which doesn't tie in specifically to wins, losses. Um, you know, one of the rationales and some that need to understand how soccer deviates from other sporting events is that numbers of goals can dictate your positioning. Um, you know, so the fact that the U.S. team needed to run up 13 goals, that allows them to ensure that they dominate if it comes down to a goal differential. So if we look at wins and losses, there aren't tiebreakers. It's, all right, who scored the most goals? Who has the strongest overall performance? So you do see multiple series of events or game matches, I should say, prior to the actual World Cup itself where these teams are all lined up based off their overall performance. So that's where you see teams like Thailand, you know, uh, ranked number 34 in the world, being up against number one, U.S. is up the world, and then everything in between. 
Oh, go ahead. I thought you. So let me I, stop. I thought you were, no, I'm still with you. Go ahead. I thought I thought you were still talking. I apologize. <laughs> so let's Not talk about. This. I kind of stopped without warning, didn't I? Uh, that's okay. No problem. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Team USA. I mean, uh, we're Americans. Let's go Team USA. What's on the schedule for Team USA? I think it's Chile that that they have next. If, if I'm correct on that, talk with us about the the upcoming schedule of the World Cup. There's still a long ways to go for the uh, the Americans and Team USA, and they've got some tough teams to, to play. Uh, that's for sure, because there are some very good, good, good teams in the World Cup. So they're not there yet, but they have a heck of a start. So let's talk about what's going on with Team USA and their schedule uh, going going forward in the World Cup. You know, I, I, I there's going to be challenges, right? In any sport, despite how great your team may be, you're always going to run into challenges. And what that may look like, none of us can tell. But, you know, if, if the, the past and what the women have done up until this point is any reflection, you know, again, I, I don't personally throw up any kind of concern. In order to get here, the U.S. women's team, and we hosted Chile for two warm-up matches back in 2018, and the tournament, we crushed it, and we scored 3 nothing and 4 nothing against them. So, you know, fast forward to today, you know, my confidence remains the same. Yes, Chile will put up a match because clearly it wasn't 13 to 0 victories against the team. But when we're looking at what we've done, you know, uh, I'm confident. You know, uh, 2015 we got it, and uh, here in 2019 we're going to be getting another. Well, heck yeah! Was it so? The last uh, women's uh, USA World Cup championship wasn't that in like 1999? Or could I be wrong about that? No. 2015, sir. 2015. Why do I remember? For some reason, in the back of my mind, and and, and I thought for so, what was what happened in 1999 with the women's World Cup? Because I know there's a story in my mind where that's why that date's popping up. I'm gonna I'm gonna be honest with you, Tom. Uh, I I have slept since then, and I honestly don't remember openly admitting there's so much sport to follow that um, I just can't keep it all together myself. But uh, you know, you let me on next time. I'll look to uh, understand a little bit more, and we can talk further. But you know, overall, I, the big the big discrepancy uh, from what I do recall, I think, uh, and I forget her name, but uh, that's where the women started taking their shirts off and sports bras were showing, and everybody was throwing a loop that heaven forbid too much celebration. You know. Um, uh-huh. Outside of that, I, there isn't anything distinctly that I recall. Well, let's talk about the 2019 uh, U.S. Women's World Cup. Like you said, that's going to be the next uh, World Cup uh, championship. The women in the United States soccer team are looking to repeat the World Cup uh, champions. Uh, uh, so let's uh, let's just kind of go through some of these players. You tell us what you what you know about uh, uh, about them. And I had my list up here, Sean. I got things going on on my computer like you wouldn't believe. Like you wouldn't believe. Of course you do. Okay. Of course you do. <laughs> too, much, too much going on. Too much going on. Let's talk about Hope Solo. What do we know about her? Um, You know, uh, she's about it. You know, I mean, uh, Hope Solo, I mean, whether it be just her uh, sheer looks or overall performance, I mean, uh, you know, what can you say? I mean, you have the, the package deal, which is basically the case with uh, most of these women. Um, you know, it's just absolutely uh, amazing you know, what she's doing and what she, uh, you know, can do for the team overall. Um, you know, we just look forward to continuing to see greatness out of her. Um, yeah, I'll just be up front honest with you, Tom. You know, there's, uh, again, in, in the following overall of the individual players and the individual teams, you know, I, I may not be the, the fullest on point for each individual That's level good. of awesomeness for all of these. I mean, yeah. 
That's okay. We'll, we'll, we'll take whatever level of awesomeness you can get. You just calling the show and talking to our two listeners is just pure awesome sauce all by itself. <laughs> it is. It is. You know, and I, and I realize that we have two and, and maybe three now because I, uh, I did request that my wife, uh, you know, uh, climb on and actually listen to us. But, uh, you know, I'm honestly shocked you didn't, uh, you know, go straight to the horse's mouth with uh, bringing up offsides in our, our initial attempt at the first goal in the uh, the match against Thailand there with uh, old Alex Morgan six minutes in. I thought you well, liked that was on, that was on that was on my list, but I thought I'd kind of warm up to that stuff because <laughs> those are all stuff I don't understand. So here's what we'll do. We're going to just let you go through your notes of what you've got and what you wanted to talk about and educate us. Um, that only the one way that Sean Horton can do and talk with us about the game against uh, Thailand or Taiwan. Thailand. Thailand. <laughs> you have a second guess of myself now. Okay. Thailand. I appreciate it, man. Uh, talk with us a little bit about uh, that game overall and what you saw and the, some of the things, quite quite frankly, that maybe it frustrated you as a fan and just made you scream and holler and say, hey, it's not right. Well, <laughs> you know, offside is always going to be that one. Um, you know, this was definitely, uh, you know, Morgan was definitely offside, you know, watching the replays and so forth. But it's always a, it's always a slippery slope uh, when watching back footage. And then, of course, it's the overall understanding of offside itself. Um, that frustrated me at tax, but, uh, you know, I, I was pleasantly happy to six minutes later to uh, then have our, our first real goal and then, of course, to uh, come up with the end result. I mean, my mind was just absolutely blown with four goals in six minutes. I mean, I'm starting to think of, uh, you know, uh, what other sports, uh, especially not soccer, that uh, you'd have that kind of run in some way degree. I mean, we're talking about games where you might score two goals max in some instances, which I think is why most people dislike the sport itself. But, uh, you know, going back to the offside thing, I mean, I'd say it's really just the most frustrating part over, overall for me as far as the game is concerned. And then, of course, the PR that was uh, provided to the team afterwards, which you alluded to at the beginning. You know, people being frustrated about running the score and those that want to look to comment about understanding the, the overall situation fully before making those comments. But uh, offside, Tom, you said you don't understand offsides? Well, I understand offsides. I understand offsides. Uh in, in in other sports, <laughs> but not with the soccer. I'm still trying to right, learn the, right. the, the, the I'm still trying to learn the, what the cards mean. You get a card, you get a card. Right. No, give me that card back. You get a card. No, you get a card. <laughs> I want yeah. a card. So, so think of like a yellow card. Think of a yellow card is uh, you know you're like your basic foul in basketball, and then a red card would be more along the lines of a technical card. Right. And, uh, you know, essentially what it comes down to is the yellow card is a warning. Right. Don't do it again, which, again, it, it could be for any number of things, you know, whether it be a, a play that could be remotely dangerous uh, coming in cleats in or sliding in on a player where there could be, you know, unintended injury taking place or just for sportsmanship. You know, I've uh, watched and seen, unfortunately, like we do in, in many sports, you know, uh, 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 egos and frustration flares up. Uh, you know, you make you say things that you don't necessarily mean or regret later, but uh, all of which can again warrant yourself getting a yellow card. A red card is a bit more serious, where there has to either be intent, um, i.e., I purposely was trying to break somebody's leg, or you managed to accumulate an additional yellow card, whereby you automatically receive a red card, meaning you didn't get your uh, 
didn't get your uh, warning the first time and continued to uh, execute or perform how you shouldn't be on the on the, uh, the pitch. It's called a pitch, too. Did you know that, Tom? Now, I did know that because actually I learned that from you a few years ago, that the, the field is called a pitch. <laughs> so I did, I, I did know that. So, so go ahead. Anyway, no. I, I digress. I, my brain just shut off. Tom, where were we? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, we were we were talking about the cards. That's fine. That's fine. No, no, no yeah, big yeah, deal. No, no big deal. No, and that's and I mean that's what it breaks down to. You know, it's it's really you know again the comparison to basketball. It's very very simple. Um, you know, and then if we wanted to even roll it into offsides, right? If we wanted to compare it to basketball, let's just say you know in order to make an alley oop or make certain rebounds right the the intended offensive player has to be directly under the basket ready to receive the basket and get it in in soccer right similar scenario however in an effort to ensure a degree of fairness and to not uh, allow for cherry picking right all offensive players must be in front of a defender, meaning an offensive player that is going to receive a pass with the intention of scoring a goal cannot be between a defensive player and the goalkeeper themselves. There always has to be that, that, that room between the last defensive player and the goalkeeper if an offensive player is going to receive a ball for a goal. So you start looking at when you watch the teams line up for free kicks, right? Everybody lines up. There's one big line right across the entire field. That is to keep everybody on side. Once the ball has been kicked, it's fair game. The key is when that ball is released from the offensive player's foot in order to make that pass to the intended uh, target. Does that make any sense? No, absolutely. Absolutely. Talk us a little bit about a match. Now, a match, the way I understand it, is kind of like a half. We can equate it to half, first half and second half in football, American football, because uh, – isn't there two matches in a game? Am I am I am I correct on that? Nope, nope. One, the, the game itself is just a match. Uh, you have two forty-five okay. minute halves. Yep, yep. And then uh, we two? have for stoppage time. So it's, I'm sorry. No, go ahead. Good. No, and, and, and we play for stoppage time, which stoppage time can be, again, any number of things. When your cards are handed out, a player is injured, injured, what have you. But any instance where the 90s, the full 90-minute terms have been stopped for any reason whatsoever. So that's where you start seeing, okay, you know, rather than 90 minutes, you see 90 minutes and you see stoppage time is the terminology used, and you'll see 90 plus four as what was displayed in this last match. I think the final goal was scored in minutes, uh, well, you know what, I forget, Tom, but, uh, you know, it was like minute 92 or 93, which technically is still fair play, so it's not as if, um, you know, it's, it's, it's overtime or anything of that nature. It's just time that was taken from the players during the allotted uh, uh, team fight for that match. <laughs> fun times, fun times. All right, let's talk about what's going on in fun the World time. Cup. Fun times. I'm just going to kind of go through these teams, tell me what you know about them. You don't have to give me an overall breakdown, but this is just kind of where where we're at as far as uh, play so far um, with, the, with the Women's World Cup uh, yesterday and today. So um, – Yesterday, China beat South Africa 1-0. China. China usually typically has a pretty good soccer team. I, I believe that I am correct on that. 
No, you're right. Um, you know, uh, China does uh, tend to do pretty well for themselves. Uh, South Africa, you know, uh, can can be somewhat reasonable, depending. And you know, overall, I mean, it's it's looking at you know two different things here: is, is how financially stable is the country, and then just the sheer volume of people. So you look like countries like China that have billions and billions of people. Well, by default, or just economies of scale. You should be able to pull X amount of players and get them trained up in order to be, you know, in a top competition. Um, you know, South Africa and a lot of the African countries and, you know, the South American countries, you know, they have soccer in their blood, for lack of better terms. So, you know, you see these teams where they may have much smaller populations that may not have the resources that are, you know, able to produce. Um, you know, again, I see that as a, that was a pretty evenly matched game overall, or match, I should say. Excuse me, Tom, you're getting to me with uh, – you know, it's <laughs> I'm wearing off on but, you. Huh? Uh, uh, it's all good, man. I, I needed a little bit, you know, and that's that's where uh, why I miss you so much is I've, I've gotten too uh, too soccery, and I need to uh, you know kind of uh, reverse course and be a little bit more aware of what's going on in the sporting world. Anyway, you're the man. <laughs> all right. So, uh, so you had Japan and Scotland. Uh, Japan uh, beat Scotland two to one yesterday. Uh, also, Jamaica fell five zero to Italy. Italy got their first hat trick in history. I know what a hat trick is, I believe so. But go ahead and explain to us what a hat trick is. It's the same thing as it is in hockey, right? You are so lucky, Tom, that a hat trick is a hat trick is a hat trick. Yes, you are correct. <laughs> Hey man, you, you always know, gotta love a good. good for the Italian. Hey man, I, I I got nothing against Italian. I go to Olive Garden all the time, bro. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely was not alluding to that at all. Um, you know, but it's it, it's nice for the Italians, and you know why it's exciting even for the United States for many of these other countries because you know uh, not to you know open up any kind of political conversation or anything else, but you look at women's sporting you know in general, whether it's this country or you know across the world, you know they they live in the shadows of their male counterparts, right? And you know Italy, of course, has been a dominant force in men's soccer, you know for, since soccer started. You know what I mean? So you know to watch and to see teams like the Italian women come up, get their first hat tricks, uh, and be you know commanding you know strong presence on the pitch is huge. No, absolutely. I agree with you. It's good for you. Yeah. Uh, England uh, England beats uh, Argentina. Don't cry for me, Argentina. 1-0. Netherlands over Cameroon. It's like a nut or something. Yep. I've never even heard of that country. Cameroon? Yes, oh, well. sir. So now we, go real, ba- man. <laughs> now we go back to um, Canada and New Zealand. Uh a lot of people like Canada, and you know what? Going back, I'm just going to throw this, just throw this little uh, uh, bone out there because the Canadians started this fight. So you know, hey, we're going to finish it. Uh, we're we're going to declare war on Canada. No, but no, the Canada Canadians said that, that you know the Americans celebrated way too much. They were out of hand with their celebration. Fast forward to the NBA Finals. Uh, uh, Kevin Durant goes down. Uh, with with the Warriors goes down and and uh, tears his Achilles heel in Toronto on their court, and every Canadian there is standing on their feet cheering because Kevin Durant just went down. I'm just saying, not a political conversation here, but maybe uh, President maybe President Trump needs to um, move the wall north. 
They can have the beer. You know? Just let us keep Brian Adams, damn it. <laughs> right? But, I mean, but that's an exact example of, you know, it's everybody wants to comment whether they, you know, know the full story or if they even are practicing what they preach overall. You know, um, I'd be lying to you if I wasn't one to get out there when I see folks, you know, guys get uh, hurt on the pitch and comments like shoot them like a horse and, you know, drag them off and everything else comes up. But there's a far difference between, you know, taunting, obviously, and then just sheer celebration of somebody's misfortune like that. You know, um, um, and that to me, it was absolutely ridiculous. For us to be excited and celebrating over victory versus excitement and celebration over injury, I mean, let's be honest with ourselves here. No, absolutely. I'm losing my voice, too. Sean, uh, real quickly, I I know you uh, live here in the great city of Indianapolis with me. Well, you don't live with me, but we share the same city. So uh, one of our good teams that has gained a lot of popularity in town, and that is the Indy 11. Talk with us about the Indy 11. They've got a big game uh, coming up tonight, I believe. Uh, so talk with us about the Indy 11 and what their season looks like. And I, and I know that you uh, go to, the, to as many of those games as you can. Absolutely. No, I mean, Indy 11, I mean, just continues to, you know, do their thing. Um, it, is, it is so inspiring and amazing to have this team and then to watch them grow. You know, we're moving from, you know, Carroll Stadium there at IUPUI to mm-hmm. now hosting in large arenas and to now, you know, potentially getting their own complex in the day it's said done. I apologize. I can't keep track of all the news as to whether it's happening, whether it's not. But, again, it's just an overall reflection of the momentum as to what the sport is shaping across the country. But here in good old Indiana, I remember when I first moved here about 20 years ago, my father told me that everybody had to have a basketball goal in their yard. That's the only way you could officially be a Hoosier or an Indianan. And honestly, when I first met, and that was almost true. No, not everybody had a basketball goal, but basketball and football, your basic sports were definitely on the brain. Can't forget racing in there. Fast forward to the day, and now we're talking about soccer stadiums or multi-complexes for something like soccer when 20 years ago it was, it was barely even mentioned or considered a sport. And, uh, and I also – I also know that the city of Indianapolis <clears throat> was in the top considerations for uh, a uh, MLS expansion team. I think we got beat out by Nashville or Cincinnati, one of those teams. But but certainly we were we were in the conversations here in Indianapolis of getting an MLS MLS team, and I and I and I know that a lot of people thought that that might hinder the Indy Eleven, which it very well might have. Uh, so the overall goal would have been you know to have the MLS as a, I guess you know, but. Uh, you're right, very much right. This Indiana, everybody knows, is a basketball state, a racing state, now a football state. But it is good to, to see the, the conversations with the Indy 11. And I've had an opportunity to go down there for, to a few uh, a few games. It's just fun. A, lot, a, a big fun atmosphere. I, I found it a little bit different. Uh, in my world, people wear jerseys. In your world, they wear scarves. Oh, yeah. Uh, do I need to get you a scarf or you feel left out? Because I got an extra Indy 11 scarf if you need one. Hey, man, bring it on. I'll take, I'll take a scarf. I, I, I still, I, what is the, what is the, what's the history behind that? What's it mean? The, well, the history of the scarf, if you look back to, well, we'll, we'll take steps way back to England and don't even, uh, don't even ask me when the time and all that good stuff uh, <laughs> took place, but. If you, look at, if you look at the British Premier League, right, so the EPL is the most wealthy, the strongest league in the world as it relates to soccer slash football. And 
you, you sit and you look at England and you look at how cold it is there notoriously or how crappy the weather is overall. So in its early inclination, many were having to wear their jackets or coats, what have you, and not be able to truly reflect or represent their colors, i.e. flying the blue for Chelsea FC, i.e. flying the red for the Manchester Red Devils, you know. Um, so the scarf itself basically came out of just the sheer fact of wanting to represent your colors and do so in a fashion that reflected the crappy weather that, uh, you know, the, the British are blessed with. <laughs> well, it went all the way back to the, the, to the uh, Game of Thrones days, right? <laughs> there it is. Did you Game were, of Thrones. Were, exactly. you, were you a Game of Thrones fan? Tom, I have to admit I'm not, and, and not by default. Um, there, there's certain things my, my wife allows me to do and not do, and uh, she was concerned that I might uh, bust out the old Dungeon & Dragon set if I started uh, getting sucked into that show. <laughs> That's, this should be afraid you're going to be moving back home to your mom's basement, right? <laughs> right? <laughs> That's, That's, That's great. <laughs> Uh, you know what? I, I, I did get into it, and then I, I fell off, and then I started binging and trying to catch up, and then I didn't catch up, and then everybody was complaining about the way it ended, so I kind of just uh, died off at the end of season six, so um, I survived. But I hear Starbucks was uh, was a, a big part of the uh, finale. <laughs> right? I don't know. Talk about – Talk about market placements. Sean Horton uh, joined us uh, this day, this rainy day here in Indianapolis. Uh, speaking of yucky weather, I talked to some soccer with us, and, and you're always welcome here to, to, to call and, and talk uh, soccer with us uh, at, at any time. Any uh, final thoughts or words of wisdom, sir? No, you know what? Uh, just go Team USA. Go uh, Team USA. Come on, celebrate there, man. Uh, yeah, hopefully we get back on for another recap. As the, uh, as the U.S. women continue to uh, crush the other uh, countries, man, if, uh, you know, I'm welcome. I'm more than happy to, to chime back in with you and maybe know what I'm talking a little bit about uh, everything going on here next Saturday. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel better, you're doing a heck of a lot better. You know a lot more about soccer than I do. So uh, there you go. Score, my friend. Score. Ooh. All right. We'll talk with you soon, well buddy. All right. Thanks, talk with talk. you too. Alrighty. Ooh, that's uh, fun times with John Horton. I tell you what, me and him go back many years, and I knew that he just—he's a big soccer fan. I'm about as big as I'm the other football fan, and I have to admit, uh, my my knowledge of soccer, you know. So hey, it's it fun conversations. Two guys talking about soccer. One guy knows about soccer, and one guy doesn't know so much about soccer. I know enough. I know enough to uh, create a segment on the show, The Balance, nine one seven eight eight nine. Eight five one six is our digits coming back? Just me and you together with a fireside chat. This is the balance. Well, that's my one attempt at Jim Nance. Well, we'll just kind of cover the gamut of sports and what's going on with the MLB. We're going to recap uh, the NBA Finals. We're going to recap the Stanley Cup Finals and the St. Louis Blues, and uh, we'll get into just whatever conversation. So, if you want to talk sports or Game of Thrones or uh, 80s throwback T-shirts or anything. We're, we're all game. It's Father's Day weekend. We'll be right back right here on the Balanced Radio Network. Play 
National Guard is a reserve component of the United States Air Force and serves alongside active duty Air Force members in times of a national crisis. In addition, the Air Guard serves the state and local community in a wide range of capacities. The reason people join the Air Guard is as diverse as our members and includes such reasons as a deep desire to serve their country, money for college, travel, new job skills, and the pride that goes along with belonging to the greatest military organization in the world. I joined because I felt a calling to serve my country, but I didn't want to be far away from my family, so the Indiana Air National Guard was a perfect fit for me. With over 95 different career opportunities to choose from and 100% paid college tuition to any state-funded college, why not give us a call? Call 1-800-841-3103 or visit online at goang.com to find out more. Again, that's 1-800-841-3103. The Air National Guard, guarding America, defending freedom. It's double trouble, double the fun. At African Safari Wildlife Park in Port Clinton, Ohio, see the largest antelope on Earth, the giant eland, and the ugliest creature on Earth, the African warthog. There's so much to see and do, including the Midwest's only drive through safari. Feed the animals. See live educational shows. Feel the excitement. Have your picture taken with a python or cockatoo. Feel the adventure. Shop the Simba Lodge gift shop with items available from around the globe. Visit the snack bar or picnic facilities. Enjoy a pony or camel ride. Or cheer your favorite porker on to victory in the famous Pork Chop Down. Bring your family to see the rare and exotic animals at African Safari Wildlife Park in Portland, Ohio. Just take Route 2 to the Route 53 North exit and follow the sign. Only 17 miles west of Cedar Point via Route 6. Open every day, rain or shine. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be confusing. Like Swedish techno confusing. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Dance with me, purple cow. Bark, bark, meow, meow. Ooh, you lovely cow. Geico makes it easy. With 24-7 access, all you have to do is go to Geico.com and you can save money on car insurance. It just makes sense. Unlike, you know. Dance with me, purple cow. I like your mood. When you don't go to Geico.com, car insurance can be hard. Like early 90s heavy metal hard. I'm yelling and screaming and I'm loud. Roar. Geico makes it easy. You can review and update your policy or report a claim on Geico.com or the Geico mobile app. Because shouldn't we all have a little less stress in our lives? I'm not even upset about anything. minutes in the books on a rainy Saturday morning 
here high atop the Balance Studios in the west suburbs of Indianapolis, Indiana. 917-889-8516 is my digit. Let's talk sports. Let's talk what's going on, what's on your mind. Thanks to uh, Matthew Embry, started the show off with some IndyCar talk and some 24-hour Le Mans, which is the granddaddy of them all, if you will, when it comes to 24-hour races. It's fun to watch, no no doubt about it. I mean, 24 hours of racing and they strategically place the drivers in positions and different ways that they go about it. And it's it's real racing. It's the real deal. Of course, they equate it to the uh, 24-hour Rolex in Daytona every year as well. And like I said, I always try to always have good intentions. But uh, when you're old like me, it just it's staying up 24 hours is hard to do. Hard to do. So probably won't do that, but I will. I will catch it here in just a little bit. Maybe have it on in the background for a while. See what's uh, what's happening with the 24-hour Le Mans. Also, Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, joined us. Uh, talk some uh, NASCAR, NASCAR Truck Series. Uh, uh, just uh, some overall getting us caught up with some NASCAR. Of course, the only uh, race on the track today is the uh, truck race, uh, which is in Iowa tonight at 8 o'clock, 8.30. You can catch that on FS1. And what a fun time it was talking soccer. Women's World Cup, American baby, USA, USA, <laughs> with Sean Horton. Sean's uh, been a good friend of mine for a long time and uh, knows his soccer. And so uh, uh, good to have him on and just kind of uh, uh, catch up on soccer and, and talk about soccer. And we'll have him on as uh, Team USA in the Women's World Cup Finals progresses. So that brings us to the final segment of the show and here we are, you and I together. We don't, we don't get a we don't get a lot of alone quality time uh, these days. <laughs> Make sure you're following us on uh, social media at T Balance. Uh, go to Facebook, type in the Balance, and hit uh, hit follow, and uh, you'll be able to stay up to up to speed uh, with us. So let's just kind of break just break down some storylines uh if you will and we'll kind of try to touch on as much as as we possibly can over the next uh 15 minutes or so so let's talk a little bit about the over celebration of team usa first of all come on come on guys i know that uh all of us love to see women hug each other, right? Come on. <laughs> God, there's nothing wrong with this. Come on. And so it all got, you know, today in today's world and social media, how everything gets, how the, how the tiniest of pebbles get turned into the biggest of boulders in a matter of, of moments. Uh, people are so emotionally reactive uh, to things that, that happened. And so the Canadian, you know, I make jokes about the Canadians, nothing against the Canadians. I I love the Canadians. Uh, But this is one incident where it was not a good look for them. And it was also not a good look uh, for them in the NBA finals. And so let's start with their excessive, their talk 
about the Americans and how the Americans celebrated too much uh, in their win over Thailand. Sorry, I was corrected on that. <laughs> Thailand, uh, 13-0. I mean, first of all, getting 13 points in soccer is almost unheard of. I mean, it almost never happens. And to get a 13-0 win in the World Cup, that never happens. So there was a lot of reasons to celebrate. And, yeah, they were celebrating like nobody's business. Maybe, maybe, maybe they did celebrate too much. I, I could see why you might say that, but I certainly don't agree with it. I think, you know, so the Canadian says, Canadian news organization, I'm sorry I don't remember her name, news anchor woman, says on the air about how over-celebrating the, the, the Americans did and how they are um, basically just running up the score and really making themselves look like fools and really making themselves look bad. I don't, I don't get it. No, they weren't. They were celebrating. With the, with the same Canadian – organization say the same thing so Canada plays New Zealand today will the Canadian uh, team let's it's not going to happen but we're just doing it this for for purposes of conversation let's say that uh, Canada takes on New Zealand today and, and wins 13-0 in the World Cup exact same scenario Will we see Canadian soccer players, Canadian women's soccer players in the Women's World Cup, will we see them celebrate like the Americans did? Well, it's a hypothetical question, so we could give a hypothetical answer. My hypothetical answer is, yes, we will. But depending on what side of the coin you're on with the question, maybe if you're a, a Canadian and you're listening, you're, you're saying, no, no, there's no way we would do that. We would never do something like that as can Canadians. Might be right. But my, my thing is when you have – especially in sports, and you have a reason to celebrate, celebrate that moment. It doesn't happen all the time. And the World Cup only happens once every four years. So it's, it's, it's not an event that you see all the time. And you certainly don't see a 13 – zero win in the World Cup. So the U.S. American women had every single right to celebrate. And, you know, I know I'm, I'm saying this, oh, you're just saying this because you're a, an American, and you're an American dude, and you don't understand, man, whatever saying this i'm not just saying this because i'm an american i'm saying this because it's it's the truth they had a right to celebrate and they did so and so just happened to be america go team usa and you know what my friend got me some really yummy bourbon called america america bourbon free advertising for them but since we're talking about team usa go get you some of that america bourbon no, I'm not drinking any right now. It's way too early for that. Or is it? Or am I? No, of course not. Of course not. 
Don't start drinking until at least noon. Come on, people. No. <laughs> Kidding. Uh, but, uh, yeah, they had every right to celebrate. Now, let's, 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 let's transition a, l- a little bit over to the NBA Finals. Okay. Who would have ever thought at the beginning of the year that the Toronto Raptors would have been in the NBA Finals? And, you know, talking about the Canadians, I'd love to see that win with the Raptors. I do. And I have to admit, I have some Canadian friends that I like. So, in all fairness to the Canadians, no no love lost. Uh, but I'd love to see the Toronto Raptors beat the Golden State Warriors. And I'm going to equate the Golden State Warriors and their dynasty to the New England Patriots or the Boston Red Sox or the Boston Bruins. So we're going to get to that in a minute, too. The dynasty to win, 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 win. Get tired of seeing that. Get tired of it. So I was glad to see. I was glad to see uh, the Golden State Warriors. Now, some ones would say, well, there's an asterisk behind that because Durant and others' injuries prevented them from playing at their – no, no. They went seven games. They lost at home. Both teams lost at home for that matter. But the Warriors went seven games against Toronto Raptors. First time the NBA championship has ever been in Canada. First NBA championship for a Canadian team. That was great. And the celebration was crazy was crazy. And Toronto is a is a great city. There's I mean it really is a good city. Lots to do, lots of places to to go, lots of things to do in Toronto. I've been there. It's a good it's a fun city. It's a nice city. It's good atmosphere. But they in game 6, I believe it was 6 or 5, either which one of those games when Kevin Durant Went down, pulled his Achilles heel. Every fan in that stadium was on their feet cheering. Well, of course. I mean, I guess I get it. There again. They're cheering because the key player to the dynasty just went down. Won't be able to return. I get it. I understand that. But that was not a good look for the city of Toronto. That was not a good look for fans. I mean, we as again, I'm going to play the reversal card here. We as Americans don't celebrate injuries as much as I don't like Tom Brady, and I and I, I use the word hate in it. I say that for say that for very special people. I'm just kidding. I don't hate Tom Brady. I just. He, he's, he's with the Patriots, and he's one of the greatest, and we don't like him. So, but I guarantee you, if, he, if they were here in, in Indianapolis and we were in a playoff situation, it was the AFC championship game, and we're going to – if we win this game, we're going to go to the Super Bowl. We see Tom Brady go down, and we, our, our hopes get lifted. We say, whoa. But I can guarantee you the 60,000-some-odd people 
jam-packed into Lucas Oil Stadium aren't going to be standing and cheering that, that Tom Brady just went down. So the Canadians were talking about Team USA celebrating too much, but yet it was also the Canadians that were celebrating an injury of Kevin Durant. Where's the double standards there? So I, I think that it put, put it all in perspective, if you will, but congratulations to the Toronto Raptors. Raptors delight. <laughs> I know. I went there. I had to. I couldn't help it. Couldn't help it. And, and those of you that are, are as old as dirt as me know what Raptors delight is. It's an old 80s rap song. Look it up. Google it. There's a play on words. Toronto Raptors delight in their win. Raptor delight. All right. I digress. Hey, let's take hats off to my St. Louis Blues. I'm a big St. Louis fan. I'm a big Cardinal fan. No bias here, none whatsoever. But I, you talk about you talk about a dynasty. Another dynasty go down. I mentioned this at the beginning of the show. Fun stat here, okay? We saw two dynasties go down in the same week. First time that's ever happened. We saw a first-time championship in both um, hockey and NBA finals go seven games. Both get crowned the champion in the same week. It's never happened before. So the St. Louis Blues beat the Boston Bruins at Boston. How many people honestly thought the Blues would be there? I don't, I don't think anybody was even having the the, the Blues are, are a lot like the the Cubs of hockey. I mean, they just never got anywhere. But they did this time, and they went on a roll, and they went on to win the Stanley Cup Finals. So, great history with the Stanley Cup, though. A lot of people may not know. That's one of the most covenant trophies in sports. To give an idea, everybody on the team has an opportunity to spend a week, I believe, with the trophy. The trophy is taken to their house, taken to family gatherings, wherever they want to take it, whatever they want to do with it. The thing about it is it also comes with a guard. There is an actual guard, armed guard, that guards that trophy 24 hours, seven days a week, 365 days a year, even inside of its trophy case. And you think, well, the board worker is pretty well, – that's true, but it's, it doesn't have the same – same level and you know just like um you know if you win a a super bowl everybody everybody in the organization uh gets a uh, a super bowl ring well it happen in hockey not everybody gets a little miniature stanley cup or anything like that but they do have an opportunity to pick the trophy up and hold the trophy but they are absolutely forbidden forbidden and there's financial penalties involved with this, if you do, of lifting it up above your head. That is reserved for 
the captain of the winning team. He is the only one allowed to lift the Stanley Cup above their head. And so, you know, each team is engraved on that. It's, it's, it's a magnificent trophy if you ever get an opportunity uh, to see it up close. And the, the city of St. Louis is, gonna, is celebrating like no city before. We thought, that, we, we thought Chicago came unhinged when, it, uh, when they won the World Series a few years back. I got a feeling St. Louis got some big party, and that's going to be going on for a few days. But congratulations to the St. Louis Blues. But here we are, guys. We're getting to be that time a year when there's really nothing going on. Really nothing going on. So what you do is you subscribe to the podcast. And if you're listening to us on the podcast right now, thank you. Hit subscribe. We, we, have, we have thousands of downloads and subscribers every week. So appreciate your loyalty and listening to us. Uh, but yeah, you know, lots to catch up on some old shows. Yeah, do some balanced binging. Why not? Why not? We're right there at your fingertips. So once you hit subscribe, once we're converted into a podcast, and it'll happen in, in a few short minutes after this broadcast ends. And unlike a lot of shows, not, not other podcasts and things, their podcast is edited, highlighted, like maybe with just interviews or just different things. It's, it's, it's very heavily edited, which is fine. Nothing wrong with that. But the balance is unique in a lot of ways because we don't do that. When you listen to the podcast, you are listening to the show. So why not hit subscribe? Start there in front of your fingertips or hit like. Whether or not you're listening to us on Apple Podcast or TuneIn or Stitcher, any place you can get a podcast, you can pretty much find us. So thank you. Thank you for listening. NFL's in the OTAs. You know, bringing it home here with the Indianapolis Colts, uh, Andrew Luck uh, is um, setting out OTAs because of a, of a spring ankle. Hopefully nothing more to read into that. Also, since, since it is Father's Day weekend, congratulations to Andrew Luck and his wife. They are expecting child. They are with child. And so uh, I know in an interview here this week with Dave Calabro, WTHR, here in Indianapolis, he goes, how does that make you feel? He's like, I'm terrified. <laughs> Big guy like Andrew Luck, terrified of a little baby. I get it. I understand. I was, I was a father. I'm still a father. But I had a... I remember when my son was born, I thought, man, I was going to drop him. But uh, it's, it's a blessing to be a father. It really is. We, we like to make jokes about it and, and things, but it really is a big responsibility. And, you know, unfortunately, and it, it's, it's unfortunate that this happens, but and I know it happens with moms and single dads and that sort of stuff too, but a lot of times guys don't step up and do the right thing. And I mean – everybody has things that happen and things that maybe are unplanned and, but you know, one of the greatest achievements that you can ever have is be a father. Happy father's day to all the fathers. My name is Sam Marquisel, Presidente. It's been great. Thank you, Matthew Embry, uh, for uh, joining us for IndyCar talk. 
Steve Wilson, Speedway Digest, and Sean Horton talking some NASCAR with us. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Uh, remember, don't drink and drive. It isn't cool. <laughs> now, I'm not laughing about that. I literally am having issues here. Okay, issues resolved. <laughs> I couldn't get my board to come back up. It was one of those days. But hey, like I said, don't drink a drive. It isn't cool. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Um, make sure you, you catch the podcast. You hit subscribe. Make sure that you're following us on at T Balance. My name is Tom Marquis, El Presidente. Happy Father's Day to you. I'm out of here. Deuces. Join us next week for The Balance. In the meantime, check us out on Twitter, T-Balance, or Facebook, The Balance, or online at www.thebalanceonline.com.